Underway here on ESPN Plus, Seri Salazar, Hercules Gomez. Herc, we started ourselves quite the little Twitter stir yesterday, didn't we? Yeah, well, you, you, but uh, just another day for me. What are you looking at? Are you looking at the shirt? You know, Robert Ori complimented me on my shirt. You know who Robert Ori is, right? Big game, Bob. Big game. Big shot. The big only game. one in L.A. So the only one in L.A. In the bathroom, I run into him. He goes, what, what kind of shirt is that? Who's on your shirt? I said, oh, this is Christian Pulisic in the U.S. Men's National Team. He goes, soccer? I said, yeah. He's like, they any good? I said, you're goddamn right, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Let him know. Let him know. All right, hey, uh, if you're a fan of Football Americas, maybe you have a friend out there that doesn't have ESPN+. Plus. Tell them they can still get the show via podcast, wherever you download your podcast. We're right there in the ESPN FC feed on today's show, which will be tomorrow's podcast. Uh, we are going to clean up the Twitter mess that we made. We're going to talk to Ali Krieger as well as the U.S. women's national team claims bronze at the Olympic Games. The Mexican men, on the other hand, playing for bronze at the Olympics tomorrow. We will preview that. But let's get to CONCACAF because that's usually where we start the show, isn't it, Hurt? The Gold Cup. And we now have the all-tournament team, courtesy of CONCACAF. Three U.S. players, or three Mexican players. Your three Mexican players, Funes Mori, HH, and Edson Alvarez. Your three U.S. players, Miles Robinson, Shaq Moore, and Matt Turner in goal. These are always uh, fodder for criticism, controversy. Herc, are you cool with this? Because I am definitely not cool with this no. one. I think it's a disaster. Hey, it's a, first of all, let's force Edson Alvarez in the back line as a center back. Yeah. Let's put yes. Lowe on the left. You know, Shaq Moore, I started off well. I thought in the knockout rounds, he really struggled. Buchanan, okay, doesn't play there. But okay, put him in. Borges, I could see because he scored a couple goals. No, I'm not cool with it. There's a few no. players missing. I am not cool with this at all. So a couple things from me. One, I don't think Edson Alvarez had a particularly good tournament anywhere on the field, but you're correct. He definitely did not have it playing uh, center back. The other thing that concerns me about this is it doesn't speak highly for the quality of the actual CONCACAF player. Qatar is not some world power, and they dropped two of the front three in this well, 11. Those are supposed they to be your stars. They were goal scorers and... Asistidores, they were assists. That, yeah, they, but that means that the stars well. of this region did not show up in this tournament. The other thing is, Damien Lowe, you mentioned him. I'm sorry, that's a second-tier player for most of his career. He's played in the USL second division in Norway. If Whoa. that's the best left back in your tournament, what does that say? That he what was the best say, left Herc, back in the region? tournament, not that he's the best left back in CONCACAF. That's what it says, Seb. Fair enough. All right, the other thing I would say is, and I know it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. Uh, the U.S. won this tournament, right? And they always say games are won in midfield, and we don't have we don't have one U.S. midfielder in here. We don't have a, a Kellen Acosta. We don't have a, there don't you have a go. Sebastian Legette. So uh, a lot to pick out with this team of the tournament from CONCACAF. You said you weren't cool with it, but as always on this show, Herc, we got to make you put in the work. We got to make you do the homework. Do. That's what you so do. our producer, Beto, he said, all right, Herc, Give us your Gold Cup best 11 then. Show us what they missed. Go ahead, go ahead senor producer, productor. Put it up on there. Here he goes. Matt Turner had to be Matt Turner, right? That's what you're going to see as soon as he puts up. There you go. That's still the other one. Put up mine. It's Matt Turner. But you got Turner in it. Yeah, but that's not mine. It's still the Gold Cup one. Whenever he wants to put mine up, he can get there. But it's going to start off with Matt Turner in goal. There you go. Hector Moreno and Miles Robinson center back. Now, I had a little bit of an issue here because Miles Robinson deserved it. Hector Moreno was the most consistent defender. 
on Mexico. That's is a very default. Good. That's a default choice. It you is. can say it. It is. But so is Gallardo. And this is the problem here, because they necessarily didn't have bad tournaments. They weren't great like we normally do. Chaka Rodriguez had a great tournament, regardless of what people want to say. I think he had like three assists. He was very good for them down the stretch. Very good player. Acosta, Kellen Acosta has to be there. He has to be there. He was one of the best players for the U.S. men's national team, who were the champs. Uh, Hector Herrera, very talented player. I thought he was top three player of the tournament. Stefan Eustachio. Eustachio is one of the best players in this tournament. Uh, he had it all. It was long-range passing, vision, the ground he covered, a set-piece specialist. He would score goals. He would assist. A ridiculous tournament from the Canadian. If you guys remember this name, your Cruz Azul people, if you remember uh -huh. this name, it's because he played one game, tore his ACL, and never played again. Great player. I can't believe Canada scooped this player up. Very good player for CONCACAF. Had himself a great tournament. Afif was one of the better players in this tournament. I don't care what you think about Qatar and how they're not a world power. He had himself a tournament. Very good player when it comes to distributing the ball, assist, scoring goals there. Funes Mori, taking a lot of heat, but he was clearly the best nine in this tournament. And then default, that could be a default choice too, huh? Well, well, it's, it's not default if you look at the overall field. And that's what, because maybe he wasn't the standard of what most Mexican nines are in this tournament. And then, can we talk about Tejan Buchanan, by the way? An yeah, An absolute definitely. nightmare for defenders. And he was playing in a position, I put him in in my left wing, he was playing in a position where he was an outside wingback. He was a wingback in a three center back midfield for, or a back line for what was Canada, and he was ridiculous. Again, he did just did whatever he wanted against Mexico. I thought he had himself an outstanding tournament. Yeah, that goal against Mexico, how easy did he make it look? I mean, it looked yeah. like a player almost at like 60% speed, uh, yeah. blowing right by the Mexican defense and eventually finishing the goal in that 2-1 defeat. All right, Herc, so let's get to our Twitter battle yesterday. Okay. Not really a Twitter battle, a Twitter wound, I think, that we opened up between U.S. and Mexico fans. And it all comes down to uh, your pre-tournament labeling. Pre-tournament. Yes, pre-tournament labeling of this U.S. squad as a as a C squad, right? As a as a C team, and so yesterday on Twitter, you you put out some of our content saying that a C team of the U.S. had beaten a Mexico A team, and some Mexico fans started kind of saying, "Well, hey, really, really, is this really a C team?" And you dismissed it. So I challenged you on Twitter. I said, "Okay, build me an A team." and a B team without any of these Gold Cup players. Okay, so I can't use any of the 24 players that were called up for Gold Cup, okay? Yep. Here's Correct. what I did. Correct. I did not use said players for the C team, and I actually only used players that Greg Berhalter at one point has used on the U.S. men's national team. So all these players have played. They're not randomly picked, and here's the best part. I did it with zero Major League Soccer players, just so the sting is a little more because those players played in Gold Cup. 12 of those players, 13, excuse me, because Kessler was added, had never debuted with the senior national team. 20 of the 24 played in Major League Soccer. Here you go. Zach Steffen in goal, Serginho Dest on the left, uh, John Brooks and Chris Richards in the center. Yedlin, forget about who you think should be in. Just concentrate on this. Yedlin, okay? Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, that midfield, Christian Pulisic, Josh Sargent. Forget about who you think should be the starting nine. Just concentrate on this. And uh, Gio Reyna, that is the A team, okay? Would you like to go to the B team now? That's scary. Okay. That's scary. Here we go. B team, Ethan Horvath, Nations League, CONCACAF Nations League MVP hero. You've got McKenzie, 
you've got Matt Miazga, and I got Carter Vickers, Cameron Carter Vickers. I even threw out a different formation with three center backs because you yourself was like, challenge me. I want to get yep. a little challenge. Yep. Said, what do you think? Throw out. And that's how they three play. They can play both ways. That's how right? they play. Anthony Robinson on the left. Brian Reynolds on the right. Okay, the kid who plays for Roma. Okay, who Greg Berhalter has brought in a camp. Julian Green. Luca Della Torre, who plays at Ericlis in the Eredivisie. Mm -hmm. Aronson, my man just scored against Barcelona on the left. Pivok in the center. Do you remember him? Do you remember Pivok? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Timothy Weah, League 1 champion. This is the B team. I did it with zero Major League Soccer players. Now, when you look at this C team I just told you, keep in mind, 20 of them in Major League Soccer and not the best reputation of what could be. I didn't pick, put in there a Julian Araujo who's undecided. I didn't put in there a Caden Clark. I didn't put in a, a Kate Cowell. I didn't put in there a Ricardo Pepe. I left Major League Soccer out. Now, sir, mm. would you agree A, B, that leaves us to the C? No, I would not. Okay. Uh, one thing I will say is that A team is scary. Maybe outside of Josh Sargent is the number nine. He probably doesn't scare you right now as a number nine. I know his situation could change maybe by the time we get off the air, but that A team is very, very scary. And I'm, I'm shocked, but also um, I'm happy that you somehow managed to do this without MLS players, because I knew you'd make a point of it. Uh, <laughs> let, let me, um, okay, so let me just make a point for some of the Gold Cup guys that, that, that we've left out and kind okay. of who you've, you've picked over them. You got Eunice Musa over Sebastian Legette. Um, you know who doesn't have Eunice Musa over Sebastian Legette? Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter, yes. right? Yes. Because he had them both available for the Nations League final. One of them played, uh, the other didn't. Correct. You got Brian Reynolds. Bro, with one cap over Reggie Cannon. Again, Reggie Cannon, a player that played in the Nations League final. Just let me that finish. Out, that that, you're stretching so hard to put well, some that was of these players homework. over the Gold Cup players. Look, you got, you got Giassi Zardes behind PFOC. The other day on the show, you said Zardes was guaranteed to make the World Cup yeah. team. Are you ready to say Jordan Pifok is guaranteed to make the World Cup no, team? No, but you're asking me to put up not. an A and B team. Of you're asking not. me to put up two separate rosters with limitations of not using Major League Soccer players. Now, per your logic, okay? Hold on, hold on. I'm not done. All I'm right. not done. No, go no, ahead. no, hold on. No, go hold ahead. On. Go ahead. You've got Luca Della Torre with three caps and Julian Green. Julian Green over goal. Kellen Acosta. Over Kellen Acosta well, and Christian position. Roldan. Different and position. Christian Roldan. Different position. Christian Roldan I mean, will concede. But Kellen Acosta position. is an A player. He started the Nations League final. That's, that's the best metric that we could have so, for what so an A this team is what player is. This is what I learned when it comes to Kellen Acosta doing this homework, this little mm -hmm. homework session you provided. Mm -hmm. Kellen Acosta, if tomorrow there was a flight to Qatar, would be on it. And if tomorrow there was a flight to Qatar and the World Cup was going on, with Tyler Adams would you say injury worries and fitness worries over the last uh, couple seasons? He may be a de facto starter. This is what I learned and that you're absolutely right there. But when you go, the majority of these players, 13 of them, zero minutes on the senior national team team, okay? And a roster is compi compiled of 23 players. That's over half already who don't have any national team experience. You want me to concede that this is not a C team? Do the law of averages here, Seb. Look at the A team, look at the B team. You could probably say Sebastian Legette, when all these European players are there, maybe is coming off the bench. Maybe Kellen Acosta. But is there a clear-cut starter here? By your, own, by your own law of averages, right, of, of the team that actually beat Mexico Miles. in the Gold Cup final, of that 11 players, I just gave you, I just gave Miles you four, Robinson, five, I didn't even. Matt Turner had how many caps before this tournament? Don't look at the final outcome, Seb. 
Look I'm not talking tournament. about those guys. I'm talking about Leggett, Cannon, Acosta, Roldan, Zardes. Those are the guys that I'm talking about. The point here Five is that the fringe players for you make it an A team. What are we doing here? No, of the 11 players, half of them are A or B players. That doesn't make it a C team. It may not be an A team. It's somewhere in between, which is a B. The bottom line here is the bottom line here at is West, at Westminster, where you went to school. Look, oh, don't take shots at my college. I won't take shots at yours. Uh, <laughs> um, look, the bottom line here is that we're yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you. She she did. Yeah, quite a few of them actually. She's yes. a doctor. Yes, uh, the bottom line here is we're we're arguing semantics. Like right. it's very very petty and small the difference between a B team it or is. a C team. If you're a Mexico fan. Whether your A team lost to a B team or a C team really shouldn't matter that much. It's humiliating either way. It's a huge embarrassment from, from like a fan perspective. So what I'm curious as to know from you is why do you think this like struck such a chord? Because, you know, I'm not on Twitter as much as you. There are still people, USA and Mexico fans, going at it back and yeah. forth in my mentions right now. 24 hours, more than 24 hours after we were talking about this. Let me give you a lesson here. For the longest time the Mexican fan base had the superiority over the American fan base because the 90s and before were owned by Mexico. Then come to the 2000s, and the U.S. gets competitive. Not only do they get competitive, they kick you out of a World Cup in 2002. And for the better part of almost two decades, they are competing with you. Then all of a sudden, they don't make the World Cup. We're back. But what happens? The U.S. is exporting players at this incredible rate, and now they beat you in two finals in 40 days, mm. and you're not exporting these players in a career. It's going to sting because it's that depth. It's yep. going to sting because it's Major League Soccer, which they know, they think, they shouldn't say they think, they know Liga MX is better than. So that's why it stings, Seb. And it's one of those you'll never get back. U.S. fans will always be able to say, just like the World Cup, and we said this before, yeah. uh, that we got one over on you, and we got one over on you with our B team, which I will say, my she friends team. in the text chain, um, that's what they were saying to me. So uh, I get it. I get it uh, absolutely for sure. Say it with hey, your real chest. Quick, before, before we get to the next thing, uh, shouts to at uh, USMNT Thoughts on Twitter. They did a great job with like a total depth chart uh, of these players. A lot of people think, did. And I think helped helped her quite a little bit with his uh, with his homework. It's not that in, hard. In case, in case you did miss it, people, uh, this uh, was actually players. something we were trying to get to in the last show, but uh, Christian Pulisic, who of course is in preseason with Chelsea, where they play in uh, Spurs uh, most recently, he did a sit-down interview with Chelsea TV. And interestingly enough, Herc, in that interview, he discussed mental health, specifically his approach to his own mental health. Let's listen in. Uh, this this has been a tough time for a lot of people, I think, um, and, and just uh, and me included. I think uh, for me, the most important thing is to just having a good support system and and, and people around me that, that I can always rely on and have a chat to. Um, you know, me personally living alone over here in Europe. Um, you know, it's it's tough being alone at times, and, and having someone always there to talk to is, uh, is is extremely important for me, and it's it's what it's what carried carried me through this time. Her good message, brave message from Christian brave. Pulisic. Brave, and it's empowering to see this new generation of athletes, Naomi Osaka, uh, Simone Biles, Christian Pulisic, Landon Donovan did in our time in 2010. Uh, even back then, it was a little taboo to talk about this mm. tiny thing, kind of thing, excuse me, about what is your mental health. It's so important. Oftentimes, people forget 
These are kids who are going by themselves at 16, 15, 17 years old, living on their own, trying to figure out who they are, dealing with the pressures in a digital world. And what I mean by that is the first time you see criticism of yourself and it's mass criticism, it's in the thousands of you it's daunting. It's mm. gut-wrenching. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to turn to. Oftentimes, that can mess with your psyche. And people forget these are human beings. They're not machines. You include the pressures that come with being a professional athlete, the pressures that come with being a role model because that's what these athletes are. It could be immense. And it's good to see that athletes today and people today are recognizing that you can better your mental health uh, by talking to somebody, by being a, a, you know, somebody to listen to or somebody that, that, that just gets it out, gets your chest out or gets it out in the open, you can better that. I think it's empowering. Herc, I know I like to joke on this show about how you last played when the ball was brown, but the truth is you didn't play that long ago. I wonder no. how much like the focus on mental health has changed. Was it ever discussed it, it, even in the later stages of your career, like internally in locker rooms and stuff? It, it changes by culture, and this is what I mean by it's taboo. I think it's more generally accepted here in the States to talk about your mental health. In Latin America, it's very taboo. It's almost like the concussions. It's very, it, that doesn't exist, you know? That's, that's get over mm. it. That's, that should be, you know, mind over matter. Uh, it's not like that, and still very a taboo type of thing in Latin America. I don't know what it's like in Europe, but my experience in Latin America is something you should get over. You're paid enough to get over it. You're, you should be strong enough mentally to deal with it. It's just pressure. It doesn't mean anything. That's not quite the case, and I think we're starting to figure out, especially for these young kids, this is a digital era, and this phone can be such a tool, but mm -hmm. it could also be such a detriment. It's instant gratification, but it's also instant, uh, just, I hate. guess, hate. Pressure, yes. pressure, criticism, hate, whatever you criticism, want. Whatever yeah. you want, it can be that as well, and it's a very scary place at time, and it's good to know that people like Christian Pulisic are sending this message that you don't have to be alone. No doubt Christian Pulisic, one of the uh, rising young stars of the American program. So is Brendan Aronson. And this kid's stock is going hurt straight up. Like every time he gets on the field, he, he seems to be doing something special. So here he is for RB Salzburg against Barcelona. Preseason friendly, 90th minute, game winner hurt. Game freaking winner. You'll have some people tell you it's in an empty net. No, 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 no. He found himself in a great spot, a great moment, and he got to put it in. Because Barcelona, game winner. What else do you want? Brendan Harrison flying high. I don't know how much longer we're going to keep this kid uh, in Austria. Maybe uh, Jesse Marsh is going to call and say, hey, bring him to the Bundesliga. This is what it sounded like over on Deportes with our colleague Richard Mendez. Bring it home, Richard. Viva el fútbol! Richard, one of the all-time greats, uh, wonderful colleague of ours on ESPN Deportes. Of course, you know La Liga season about to kick off Sunday, August 15th on ESPN Deportes, ESPN Plus, and ABC. We got the curtain raiser for Barcelona. Barcelona against Real Sociedad, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts featuring Lionel Messi. Uh, uh, sorry, wait, what? what? 
No, breaking news, breaking news, Herka. This at 1.46 p.m. Eastern time today, Barcelona from their official account tweeting, Leo Messi will no longer be connected to FC Barcelona. It came out of nowhere. It came after months, Herc, of talk that negotiations between the two sides were going extremely well. In fact, we thought an announcement was hours, days away. What does this mean, one, for La Liga? And uh, maybe what does it mean for Major League Soccer? It is, after all, transfer deadline day in MLS. All right, trade deadline, trade deadline. Trade deadline, hey, same thing. Let me tell you what it means for La Liga. You just lost the best player to ever play the game. And why did you lose him? Why? Because you're essentially picking the Superliga or a potential of the Superliga. Because you don't want the money that comes with this private sell of CVC, this equity firm, the 11% that should give you about 270 million. You'd rather go for the potential millions, maybe billions of the Superliga that might not even exist. Because if you go with this private money, that's a pause in La Liga for mm. 40 million. And if you don't get this money, you can't prove that you have the solvents to keep Leo Messi, to pay Leo Messi. So he's not gonna get registered. It's a shame that a player that gave 21 years of his life to that club is going to go out this way. And that Barcelona will look like the bad guy. That Lionel Messi's now, his future is up in the air. But hey, you know what this means for Major League Soccer? You take your shot and you take it well. If it means you dump a truck full of money in front of this man's lawn, you do it. If it means you come up with the clause like you did for David Beckham, the ownership clause, and you give him the 29th, 30th, 31st, 30th, whatever you want, you give him that franchise. Whatever you can do to get this man, one of the biggest players to ever play the game, whatever you can do to tie his name to yours, you do it. If David Beckham was a parting of the waters, a watershed moment in Major League Soccer, what do you think Lionel Messi at this stage, 34 years old, and I still think has a few years left of elite level football in his legs? What do you think that's gonna do for Major League Soccer? You do it. Can I be honest? Sure. I, I think this you. is a bluff. I don't think this is the last oh. we've seen of Lionel Messi at Barcelona. I'm not saying I it's think not. This is, I think this is a bluff big time. Are you kidding me? A out-of-the-nowhere cold one-sentence tweet for the greatest player in your club's history, maybe the greatest player in the, in the history of this sport? Uh, that's madness. There's so much context to this. There's tension yeah. between La Liga and its clubs over the league deciding to sell a 10% stake to a private investment firm. There's tension because La Liga is being very strict on their salary regulations. In fact, Barcelona, in, in a statement they released, you're seeing a statement from Real Madrid as well right now, uh, has talked about the salaries. I mean, this is, this to me, is basically Barcelona saying to La Liga, okay, you don't want us to register Lionel Messi? Cool, we're gonna tweet about it. Let us know what your sponsors and what your partners out there think about it. Right. And then you let us know if you're going to really stop us from registering Lionel Messi. Are we really going to blow this whole thing up? And I think at the end of the day, Herc, cooler heads will prevail. There's no way La Liga wants him gone. There's no way Messi wants him gone. And there's no way Barcelona got, you know wants him gone. Do you know what that 10 11% of that sale is for? The audiovisual rights, TV rights. So if Messi's not there, what are those rights going to be worth? Of course, it's a bluff. But if you're Major League Soccer, if you're PSG, mm. if you're City, even after you spend 200 million uh, pounds, don't you shoot your shot? And, <laughs> and if you look at the betters right now, PSG are favorites to land him. Do you know after City who the next favorites are? Any Major League Soccer team out there, mm. they're in mm. that orbit. You shoot your shot.
I'd put the odds on Barcelona keeping him ahead yeah. of PSG, Manchester City, and everybody else in MLS. The, the question here as it pertains to U.S. men's national team fans is, what does this mean for Serginho Dest? Serginho Dest has long talked about one of the reasons he wants to be at Barcelona is because of Lionel Messi. And we know, Herc, in the last few months, there have been plenty of reports of interest yeah. in Serginho Dest away from Barcelona. And what we're hearing out of Barcelona is that he doesn't want to go. He wants to stay and fight for his spot. I wonder if he feels the same if Messi's not around. Of course he does. Uh, this is posture. This is this is trying to be romantic with the club and romantic with what is Lionel Messi. But if you're Serginho Dest, you'd take your chances for a spot over Emerson than if you're going to Bayern Munich, right? Who are you going to have to fight over there yeah. for the back line? Yeah, I'd rather fight against Emerson or, or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, Barcelona doesn't have the money to go out and look for players, especially not outside backs. You've got more of a chance of playing at Barcelona. See what you see what you want about. Hey, Lil Messi's one of my heroes, one of my idols. He's the reason I came to Barcelona. But for you, a professional athlete, he's not going to be the reason you stay. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of Serginho Desk, we got a Dest Weston McKinney showdown coming up in the uh, Joanne Gamper Trophy. Of course, the annual preseason affair at Barcelona. Who you got? Juve with McKinney or Barcelona with Dest? Uh, Juve with McKinney. Didn't you just see Barcelona lose to Salzburg? You want me to bet on them right now? No Lil Messi? No, you know what the morale's gonna be in that locker room? Come on, come on, man. We'll see, we'll see. It's their, uh, it's their preseason like classic. You know, they gotta win it. Named after the founder of the club. Uh, if there is any romance left in football, I'm sure they will. The game, by the way, will be played on Sunday. And it's a match you can watch on ESPN Plus. Sunday coverage starts at what, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, 12.30 p.m. Pacific. It's the John Gamper Trophy between FC Barcelona and Juventus. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Women's national team claimed the bronze medal at the Olympics this morning with a thrilling 4-3 win over Australia in the bronze medal match. Here to break it down with us, two-time World Cup champion Ali Krieger. All right, Ali. So they get it done this morning with a couple goals from Megan Rapino, a couple goals from Carly Lloyd. I guess the obvious question to ask here is like, where has this been all tournament? Where has this team been? I honestly, I, I, we were finally, you know, watching a complete performance. So I agree. I, I feel like they just needed to kind of dig a little deeper, really roll their sleeves up and, and get to work and, and apply what they've been doing all year. Uh, 
you know, in, in each and every game building up to the Olympics. So yes, finally, we were so happy to see, I'm sure as fans and supporters, um, the, a complete performance from start to finish, um, really great goals and everybody having that winning mentality, working so hard and um, following through with a win. So that, uh, that was a great way to end this, this tournament and the bronze medal to go home with a medal, medal in general as an Olympian is, is pretty incredible. You know, we'll talk about individual performances in, in a second right here, but I was surprised that it took so long to see that American arrogance that we're going to go ahead and press you from the opening minute. You don't respect the opponent too much and you sit back like we've seen him do so many games uh, throughout this tournament. I, I thought when they pressed, they were very good at pressing, made the opponent give up the ball, cough up the ball in some very precarious positions. And it was a that atypical, that typical American performance that you normally see out of these women. No, and I agree with you. That high press really was effective in, I think, a couple of the goals, obviously putting the back line under pressure. Um, you know, unfortunately, they or fortunately for us, but unfortunately for Australia, they had, you know, missed hit a clearance that Pino just took full advantage of. Um, and, and luckily she was high up on the pitch, uh, making them have to make those tough decisions. And so I think one of those goals came off of that high press mentality and just the the tenacity and the urgency in the play was really good to see and we hadn't seen that most of the tournament and so I think going out on top and really having a collective performance um, in each line was really what they wanted to accomplish today and, and help them be successful. Ali, one of Megan Rapinoe's goals was a goal olimpico, right? A goal scored directly from a corner kick. Now, every time I see that at the professional level, I kind of think it's like half accident. Did they really mean to do it? Look, you know <laughs> Megan better than anybody. Uh, did she mean to do that? Oh, absolutely. She's like, listen, I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to try my best to put this in the back of the net. And she purposely you know, does that. The way she can whip a ball into uh, the box is, is incredible. And it's someone that I haven't seen do as well as she can. And it's, it's unmatched. And so I think that, you know, everyone's prepared. And I know that, you know, the team is very di diligent in the set pieces. And so, of course, everyone's prepared for the ball to go to them. But the fact that she was able to whip this in um, was was amazing. And, you know, the goalkeeper obviously probably could have done better with that um, for Australia. But, you know, she really set the tone of the game with that goal. Okay, let's talk about Megan Rapino for a second. It, it, she seemed like a gamer, a big player in big tournaments. Uh, golden ball, last World Cup. She just seems like she's made for this type of moment. Why did we only see her start in half the games this tournament? Good question. And I even asked her as well. I usually texted her like, you have to get into the game at the beginning. Like what is going on? Um, but no, I, I feel like, um, I think as we do get older and for her to perform the way she does every single moment of every single game, um, you know, they have to make sure she's managed properly. So I can understand where, Vlako was coming from in that aspect and and maybe she had you know something to do with that as well uh, we don't know their conversations behind the scenes and and what the team is is talking about so you never know but i feel like uh in these situations these games i wanted to play every single minute every every single game 
because she is that type of player that's able to affect the game and change it like no one else. And she brings that type of magic, that individual magic and flair that no one else has. And so just like we saw today in the game and Ian, both of her goals were, were just insane. So yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I feel like, you know, we have to manage the players properly, especially in these tournaments. It's so difficult to play every three days uh, at the level that we play at. So I think that had something to do with it. You mentioned Vladko Andonovsky, just two wins from six games in this tournament. How do you assess his first kind of major tournament uh, as the U.S. women's national team manager? You know, obviously it's not, you know, the best that I think um, he's capable of doing. I trust Blacko. I respect him. I think he's one of the best coaches who I've played for. Um, he's very knowledgeable about the game. He's so diligent. He's, um, he's just really good in the training environment and applying what we need to accomplish in training and then making us execute it in the games. Now I feel like this tournament doesn't just stand on his shoulders alone. Like the players really have to take responsibility and accountability in these moments to really step up and play well and do their job and do it well. I mean, that's why we're there. That's why we play at the highest level. So I don't want to say that him and the coaching staff, you know, that it wasn't a good performance from them. They obviously cannot play, but they have to get the team in a situation and preparation in order to do their best. And so, yes, uh, for a new coach and, and, you know, coach who hasn't been involved in one of these tournaments, I'm sure it is so stressful and, um, you know, a lot of pressure, um, just like the players have to deal with. But um, I wouldn't say it was a failure at all. I think winning a bronze medal is also very good. For the U.S., yes, our standards and expectations are so high. But coming home with a medal in your first major tournament as a head coach of the best team in the world, it's, um, that's really rewarding. Ali, you just mentioned the players, and obviously the players play a huge role in this, not just the coach. Uh, Megan Rapino alluded to this in her post-game presser after that loss in the semifinals. What's the biggest takeaway the American players can take from a tournament like this, especially the young ones? Because these older players, they're probably going to move on. What about the young ones? What's the biggest takeaway they can have? I think we have to continue to understand we, we can't just show up to tournaments and expect to win anymore. We have to really... Um, play this role as, you know, an underdog type and uh, have a, uh, you know, that humility and, and humbleness to, to really go into tournaments and understand that you have to bring your best in order to win. But, you know, there are teams now that, that don't fear us anymore. There are teams that are getting fitter, faster, stronger every single day. And there are players who are consistently playing at a high level over in Europe as the leagues are getting better over there as well, that, they are performing technically, tactically, um, you know, mentally uh, and emotionally and, and physically better. They're wanting it. They're wanting it more and, and each and every year. And so we are, you know, the team that always sets the standard and the expectations where those teams are seeing how we prepare. They're seeing how detailed we are. They're seeing how each and every player has to you know, train and perform their best in order to give the collective group that success and teams are catching up. So we need to continue to get better ourselves, to continue to challenge ourselves, continue to find teams, um, 
in this league that set you up for success, that, that challenge you, that make you stronger, that help you grow. And then when you get called into the national team, figure out how that personnel can, can be successful together at the highest stage. Ali, one bit of history that we had in the bronze medal match this morning was Carly Lloyd's two goals. She's now the U.S. Women's National Team all-time top scorer at the Olympics. But even with that, it feels a little bit like the end of an era, specifically with Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapinoe. Um, how much of a chance do you think there is that we see either of those two at the next World Cup, which is at this point less than two years away? Listen, I wouldn't doubt it, um, but I think that they also want to accomplish other things in life. I, I'm just, you know, uh, assuming, obviously, we don't know. I don't really know what both of them are thinking, um, but I think that there's other passions and other things that, you know, we want to accomplish as players who have played at the highest level for a long, long time, especially those two who today had such an amazing impact on the game, who helped this team win that medal, and um, who were just so involved in every single opportunity. And so I think coming home with a medal, um, they can be so happy with that and um, really satisfied with that. Obviously at our level, I guess you could say we're never really satisfied. We always want to challenge ourselves to, to get better and do the next thing and, and make the next team. But for these two, I know for Carly, 2020 was, was when she had publicly said she wanted to retire after the Olympics. So I can foresee that that might be the case and just enjoy club for you know the rest of the year or another year, or however long she actually wants to play. I mean, you look at Formiga, who's, what, 43, still thriving over in Europe and, and playing at the highest level. So I don't doubt that she could just maybe play club and finally just enjoy the game at a level where you don't feel that type of pressure and that maybe you're not always traveling, um, you know, two, two weeks out of the, the month. So you can have more downtime. You can enjoy the game, enjoy being home for once and, and really look back on both of their careers and, you know, just think, wow, I'm, I really gave everything I had to that team, to the game. And it's, it's so rewarding. I don't want to think about these two players leaving. Don't leave us on such a sad note. Give us something to look forward to. You play with these players at the club level, at the league level. Give us a few names we can look forward to potentially breaking into this national team. Yeah, you know, playing um, with a lot of these players in, in the NWSL, which we have so much investment in, which is so exciting to see because then that prepares these players for the next level in the national team. And, and so it's exciting to see names like Alana Cook and um, Trinity Rodman and also Emily Fox, who are really, really great young players and young talent that are really coming up through um, the ranks here and really making a name for themselves and an impact immediately immediate impact, I should say, in the NWSL, but also within their club teams. And so that will be exciting to see kind of what they do um, and see how they can perform uh, in friendlies and at the highest level. So I'm excited to see those three, especially, and I know there's going to be more to come. Oh, I thought when you were going to name names that could help the team out, you might go, you might go Ali Krieger and Ashley yeah. Harris, you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's inevitable. I mean, duh, they could have, you know, they could have used this, I think. All right, uh, there she goes. Allie Krieger, two-time World Cup champion. As always, thanks for the time here on Football America. It's great stuff. Thank you both. Good to see you. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Mexican national team may be adding another to its ranks. As first reported by Doug McIntyre over at Fox, David Ochoa planning to file that one-time change of association paperwork with FIFA. He'd switch from the United States to Mexico. Boy, it wasn't all that long ago he was celebrating U.S. win over Mexico in the Nations League final, Herc. Yeah. Is this the best move for Ochoa's career? Let me just start off by saying all you U.S. men's national team fans that have tweeted, DM'd, Instagrammed David Ochoa because David Ochoa has made it public, uh, these hateful messages that, that just scream of xenophobia and, and hate, negativity, stop it. Stop it. There are complexities when it comes to a dual national and a Mexican-American for what is the proximity of both countries, the turmoil between both countries, and the rivalry that comes with soccer. Now, I firmly believe there are a lot of dual nationals that hold both countries in equal love and respect and admiration. And if both are held in that admiration, if it's all things are equal, then it becomes about opportunity. Now, David Cho is in a situation where he sees the writing on the wall with the U.S. men's national team. Zach Steffen's 26. Ethan Horvat's 26. Matt Turner, who just had a ridiculous tournament, is 27. Mm. You've got all these players, some of them goalkeepers, in the pipeline with European passports with the ability to go. You're saying he's got an easier path to the number one I'm job get, with I'm, Mexico? I'm, I'm getting there right now. Look at the other side. Memo Choa is 36. Alfredo Talavera is 39. Jonah Orozco is 35. Cota is 34. You look at the two guys who are at the Olympics behind what is Memo Ochoa, and they're 23, 24, but not a wealth of experience. Honestly, not even more than a season of real experience in what is Liga Mekis. Jurado hasn't really played that much. You'll take your chances over there, I would assume, if all things are equal. So it becomes a business decision. I know that's not what fans want to hear. You want to hear, I love my country, I love this team, all that stuff, and that's fair. But with dual nationals, it's not that cut and dry, Sebi. And you know what it's like to have love for what is the United States and Mexico. It's very complex. So it becomes almost a business decision. Yep, I respect that. The one thing I would say is it adds another level to this rivalry, especially if these guys, if a Jonathan Gonzalez or a David Ochoa yeah. ends up breaking into the senior national team. If you have a guy who is, you know, quote-unquote defected from a program, uh, that's going to be very, very interesting. If you are going to pick at this a little bit, and maybe maybe some opportunities, you, don't, you can't choose how it goes down. The fact that he played for one and yeah. so closely switched to the other, whatever you want to say about it, and certainly if, if there's fans sending him hateful DMs, that's that's cross another line. But fans are going to be upset with of this course. because of because of just how close the decision was and, and just how quickly he switched from one team to another. But honestly, you can't switch from U.S. to Mexico or Mexico to U.S. and keep everybody happy. You're yeah. just not going to do it. No. So at the end of the day, the kid has to do what he's got to do what's best for himself. Of course, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't have anything to add to that, but you're absolutely right with that, the proximity. And it's also U.S.-Mexico. You're going to nitpick at everything on each side.
All right, uh, let's continue down this road because there's another kid who may have a very similar decision uh, coming his way in the not-too-distant future. That's Ricardo Pepe, of course. Remember, had a hat trick a couple weeks ago, then got a big new contract with FC Dallas. Uh, here's what he had to say about the Mexican national team setup. He's been in a youth camp with them. He's been in youth camps with the U.S., but he's also represented the U.S. at the youth national team level. Per Mexico, here's what he had to say. I've had a conversation with them, too. They just talk to me about the same things, the plans I have, with the Mexican national team, what they want me to be. And basically just that I have a great chance and if I can keep doing things well, I can go to the World Cup with them. I feel like right now, it's up in the air. Herc, very interesting to me here that Mexico is selling the World Cup. It sounds a lot, a lot like the case of Jonathan Gonzalez um, a few years ago. Let me ask you this, because we don't have too, too much time. Using the same logic that we applied to Ochoa's decision here with Ricardo Pepe, if we think of him as a number nine, would it be easier for him to be a starting number nine with Mexico or with the U.S.? Where is that talent pool more suited for him to break through? It's a tough one. It's a tough one, right? It's really 50-50 because right? if you look at how... No, Definitely not as clear as goalie for Ochoa. No, not a clear at all. No, no system, no program has a clear-cut nine who is not only the favorite, but will be the favorite for a foreseeable future. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a toss-up there. And you're absolutely right. It does sound like they're selling him a World Cup spot. And I go back to our interview with Jonathan Bond, who was a dual national for Wales and England. When you're so young and you have mm. family members around you who can influence you, it's almost not fair. You can go either way. You're not old enough or mature enough to really understand the complexities of it. And these Mexican-American kids with immigrant parents who have seen what it is, professional football, in Mexico, there is no NBA, there is no NFL, there is no MLB, there is no Hollywood. You grow up idolizing footballers. The people with money are footballers. It's almost in the situation where you see how one footballer gets treated in one country and how another gets treated in another country. You almost lean one way if you're the family. You almost lean one way because that's all you've ever seen. It makes these decisions even more complex and even more difficult and hopefully he has a good support system and the maturity to see past, and I don't want to say hope, false promises, um, but very hopeful things in the future. You know, maybe he sees the big picture, but it's such a difficult decision. You mentioned his youth. He is just 18 years old, so a lot of weight, a big decision on those young so uh, shoulders. Let's get into some transfer talk, shall we, Herc? Uh, Orbelin Pineda, not 18, 25 years old, has reportedly, or at least this was like a day ago, had reportedly reached an agreement with Celta de Vigo to join them in December once his contract with Cruz Azul had expired. Now we're hearing that uh, maybe there's a chance for Cruz Azul to get back in the mix and, and, and keep the player. What do you think? Would a move to Celta de Vigo at this point in his career, 25 years old, be good for Orbelin? Would be massive. And let's talk about Cruz Azul for a second. He's a, he's a wonderful player. A player can play multiple positions and he's so good. Technical, he's so vertical. He can play between the lines, good in tight spaces. He's a finisher, he can start plays, he can create. Great player. Cruz Azul paid $13 million for him from Chivas. They can lose him for free in a matter of days, if not weeks. He could sign a pre-contract to go play in Celta de Vigo. He needs to do this and it's the only way these Mexican players can do it. They need to have their contracts played out. Like Rodolfo Pizarro, who at 26 came to Major League Soccer, they wanted 20 million for him. This is ridiculous that these players have to do this in order to leave. Mexican players are so good. 
They're so good at the youth national team level. I will never get tired of saying how they are a world power when it comes to youth national team football. But when it's after 18, 19, 20, and it's the first team minutes for team opportunities, especially abroad, that's when they're limited. And they limit themselves by these inflated transfer fees, like JJ Macias said a few weeks ago about Mexican football. It's hard to hate on a move to La Liga. I do hate the fact that he'd be joining in midseason. That makes the climb into the 11, I think, a lot more difficult. But if you're a player who can go over midseason, get a starting job in La Liga, I think that speaks pretty highly of Orbelin. Look, it's not uh, Cruz Azul, but we do have Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes coming up this weekend. It's Cholos against Toluca Friday night special. How about that from TJ? It's Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. The tears of Tokyo, Mexico, losing in the semifinals Olympic tournament to Brazil. Match finished 0-0, went to penalties where the Brazilians uh, were triumphant. Herc, it was heartbreaking to watch because Mexico had their fair share of chances. Oh, yeah. did, did, they, did they deserve more? Did, were they unlucky not to be in the gold medal match? Maybe. Maybe because they actually played pretty well for stretches of that game. Well enough to score a goal, well enough to score maybe two and mm -hmm. get a win. But there Brazil, were good chances. They were, there good, were good chances. chances. But Brazil yeah. also had good chances. And for Brazil no also dominated for long stretches of this game. Um, in the end, I don't agree. I don't think it's a toss-up if you go to penalty kicks, but it is maybe a 60-40, right? Yeah. Uh, so from when it comes to that way, looking at it, they played well, well enough. Uh, it's sad because I actually had a lot of fun watching this team and I thought they could go really far. I mean, then they did. They're, they're still alive. Got a shot at the uh, the bronze medal. So the penalty kicks is a thing that has like a deep place in Mexican yes. football lore, right? Uh, 1986, they get bounced from the World Cup. 1994, they get bounced from the yeah. World Cup. There's you were there. I was there. I was there. I actually think... You got the it. Ticket stub? I got the ticket stub somewhere here. There's a there's a painful one against the U.S. at the 1995 Copa America in the quarterfinals. Yeah. This this is it. This there is the is. ticket. Show, show them. Look at that. There you go. Yeah. Stop. You go, go back. Stop. It's from Stop. Giant Stadium. There it is. 1994 World Cup. Little Sebi, 10 years old, watching Mexico same lose some penalties to Bulgaria. Yeah. You know what's crazy, too, is a lot of these penalty losses, and it was the same way for Mexico against Brazil uh, in this one, they're not close. Mexico misses like almost all, yeah. all of the penalties. It really seems to be um, a mental block uh, within Mexican soccer. And I'm not even mentioning the miss from Andres Guardado 
in the in the Nations League final. It's true. Oh, I forgot about that. It's so crazy how penalties have played a, a role in Mexican mm -hmm. football folklore, right? Like their inability to advance, their inability to get over that hump. And Do you think again, it plays on the on like each generation of guys' minds? Is that like does it actually weigh? I don't believe so. You know, I played second division soccer in, in Mexico when I was 18, 19, and after every game, didn't matter if you won or you drew, you would do penalty kicks, and the winning team would get an extra point. That's how it was in second division Mexican football. And it be, it's because of this folklore, because of this, we always seem to lose in penalties. Uh, it seems to be ingrained in the, in the culture. It's just something they know now, like, hey, penalties are a big deal to us. What amazes me in this penalty kick shootout is Henry Martin's no longer on the field, right? Uh, it was the same as England. They let the young guys take him, right? Well, forget about just the young guys, but Romo, let's presume he was the fifth. Why wasn't he the, the first? He, he's one of your reinforcements, overage reinforcements, great tournament. Diego Linus plays for Real Betis. He plays in La Liga. Why are you having these kids with just Liga Mekis experience be the ones to take these decisive penalty kicks? So we got the bronze medal match coming up tomorrow. Mexico against Japan, a rematch of the game, Herc, that we saw in the group phase, a match that the, uh, the Japanese team won. Our producer has assigned us a parlay, not one that we each get to pick. We right. each get to put one bet in, so we have to team up on a parlay. What did you go with with your half of the parlay? I went with Alexis Vega scoring at plus 230. Mm. Uh, there is no bigger winner for the Mexican national team player pool at these Olympics than Alexis Vega. This man does it all. He's scoring goals, he's creating, he's producing, he's a menace down that left-hand flank, especially cutting in. If somebody scores a goal, chances are it's Alexis Vega or it's assisted by Alexis Vega. He's the constant danger. So if you're asking me, will I take a flyer at plus 230 for him to score a goal? Yeah, I'll take that. All right, very much. I like it. I like your assessment of Alexis Vega. He's been the best out there for sure. My pick is going to be the over. But not just any old over. Over three and a half, all right? So we need four goals uh, in this game. I'm, I'm kind of just applying the logic of what we saw this morning from the U.S. women. It's a, it's a third place match. It's a bronze medal game. Nothing to lose. Everything to play for. Let your hair down. Have a little fun. I think both teams are going to play some open soccer. I think we're going to get a lot of goals. Do you remember Same that bet? first game? I, I would absolutely take that. You remember the first yep. game? It was chaotic. The first 15, 20 minutes were back and forth where Japan took advantage. They got a penalty kick from some lazy, just crazy defender from the Mexican team. But then, even after the red card, when Mexico went down a man, they kept attacking and attacking and attacking. Two teams with very open play, very dynamic players, lots of speed. I'll take that bet. Hey, some breaking news just as we're going off the air here. Gianluca Buzio, the transfer from Sporting Kansas City to Venezia. Official, Herc, official. So you can go ahead and order that sweet Venezia jersey. I, I guess Reggie been, Cannon was right. That you've been, that you've been waiting <laughs> on uh, that you've been waiting on all along. All right, that's it for this edition of the show. Hercules Gomez, I'm Seb. We'll be back on Monday. The C-Team, Seb. The C-Team. We'll I brought then. receipts.